So we are in the midst of our uh, summer, ser- some, summer sermon series, still can't do it, four out of five weeks, not going to happen once, um, where y'all have submitted questions. Um, if you aren't aware, our regular rhythm is going through books of the Bible. So we start at the beginning of a book of Bible, go section by section through the end of it. We'll be picking back up with Revelation come the fall um, within that. And so this is a unique um, stop that we do. Um, in the summer, and it's just a great time to engage with what you're doing, and so sometimes those are deep dive into text, sometimes those are cultural, theological questions, uh, intersection of all of the above, and so this isn't our normal rhythm, but it's a fun thing to be able to stop and do within it, and so I'm going to read our question for today, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to dive in. So our question for today is, what is the intersection of faith and science? Um, Honestly, as most of these questions, this could be 50 different sermon series, uh, depending on the vantage point and angle that you're going to take in. But we're going to dive to it, um, try to address it uh, in, in this way that we have, uh, and, and go from there. So let's pray. Uh, Lord, uh, again, we just thank you for this community ability to gather together. Uh, we recognize the summer is winding down. We still have a lot of people um, out and about. Uh, throughout the summer, um, prepping for the fall to start. And so um, where, they have, where they are, where they are with their travels, um, we just pray for safety uh, and just for um, sweet time with family. Uh, we give you thanks um, for the vacations that have happened and for being able to welcome the Colburns back to uh, Center Church and the time that they were able to have in Alaska. And we're so glad for that and also so glad to have them back. And we pray for the Ocells as they travel back um, from their vacation and pray the same uh, for that, that it was just a sweet time and that they come back energized and excited uh, and ready and ready to dive in. And so for us, as we gather here, this question, this idea of faith and science, as we explore it, um, see what uh, we have for our time this morning, just pray that, um, that it would be a time that's glorifying and honoring to you and anything that is not of you and is not that would fall away and that is um, what you want us to take away would be able to come forward in uh, the limited ways that we have with our language and our understanding. And so be with us um, in this time, uh, in this time of speaking, in this time of listening, uh, in this time of being a community together. In your name, amen. So this idea of what the intersection is of faith and science is obviously a very large question. Um, There's a lot packed into it within it. And uh, as I was thinking through it through this week and through the the last, um, when it's just kind of been rumbling around in my head, I kept being brought back to my Christian Theo 101 class um, when I was an undergrad student with uh, uh, an individual named Jim Bilby, who is a fantastic person, a great professor, a really fun guy. And uh, one of the things that happened in that class is because we get, you know, when you're going into Christian Theo 101, you're not always really excited to learn a bunch of stuff. You're excited to be proved why you're already right, (laughs) because you come into that beginning thinking you know everything already, and you're like, okay, this this is going to affirm everything. And that becomes really not true very, very quickly um, within that. Um, But there was this kid, uh, he was super excited uh, to have the professor disprove evolution in like one sentence. And um, he looked at me, and he's like, it is impossible to disprove evolution when Robert is sitting in the room. Uh, If you can't tell, I'm a very hairy individual. I have very hairy arms. Uh, Even at that time, I had a big beard. If you ever go to a concert or a place where they are required to put, like, a bracelet on your arm, like, the the, the person doing it is, like, shaking because they see the arm hair. I had to stop wearing wristwatches because the hair overlaps the time, and you can't even see the time anyway. Um, so it's a mess. It is great in Minnesota, though, because the mosquitoes die before they get to your arms. They, like, strangle in the arm hair. It's disgusting, but it's fun. Anyway, I think of that story, 
about that. But I also think in these conversations of Christian Theo 101 that we are so hungry, it was, there's, there's just this hunger and this angst to not really even learn as much about God, but to be like, okay, it was seven days. It was 24 hours, right? It was this, it was that, young earth, old earth. There was just this obsession with being able to have a lot of things that we've been culturally taught and culturally formed affirmed. And as I was thinking about this question and thinking about that, one of the things that stuck out to me is how intense that first year was on these different perspectives and how rare any of those same questions were the next seven years of theological study. There was just something about that first year that it was so rampant, and then it slowly just went away. And so I was wondering, like, why did these questions stop boiling to the top? Was it because we were silenced? Um, Because God couldn't handle it? Uh, No, more often than not, it was actually because we continuously asked Scripture to do something that it was never intended to do. We keep trying to press something into Scripture that's like, I don't actually know if that is what Scripture's main purpose is. It doesn't mean that it doesn't allude to it or doesn't speak to it, but as far as it being its foundational and main purpose. And so that's where I want to begin with as we dive into this question and this idea of where are we starting. So as we think about science and faith and these concepts, are we talking, are, are, we, are we engaging with this as our, as our beginning point, our starting point, this idea that they're friends? Um, or do we think, okay, yep, that's great. They get along awesome. They're amazing. There's no issue there. Um, are we starting from a place of just assuming that they're enemies? Like, they just do not, they cannot go together. Are we going to kind of embrace that more attention notion of frenemies? Like, there, there is something there. They work together, but yet there's conflict. Um, they form and inform, but yet there, there, there definitely is something off with that. And I think that's so important for us to do is like, okay, as we even engage this question, as we're asking this question, what is it that we're even coming to it with as far as an attitude? Um, do we even think it's possible? Do we think there's nothing to critique? Is it only to affirm? And then not only where are we starting with faith and, faith and science as far as friends, as enemies, as frenemies, but also how did we get there? The starting point of how did we arrive at it? Um, was it society? Was it school? Was it the Bible? Was it church? Uh, The reality is, if this was a Scantron test, it'd probably be that, um, probably all of the above. Uh, One of the things that I always find fascinating, especially in the years of working with students that are going on in theological study, is um, a variety of you have different experiences with when you entered the church, when you didn't um, enter the church, um, what, what is your primary forming thing. Um, but oftentimes, if you grew up the church, if you grew up in the church in your whole life, and you're around sermons a lot, if you're around the church life, if you're around the Bible a lot, oftentimes, you know, you, you think through how many sermons or how many church events have I been to before I could even read for the first time, and so you realize, like, wow, that's actually a lot of impact and influence <laughs> there before I've even actually read scripture, and so recognizing how all of those intersect together is not not being asked here in a way to demean or or, um, say, well, that's not okay, or this is okay, but to realize, wow, we have a lot of intersecting realities that have formed how we come to this question. And so there is probably some sense that it's all of above, society, school, Bible, church. We even make decisions based on how these things intersect together. What are they talking about in school? What are they talking about in society? What is their interpretation and understanding of the Bible? What do they value as a church? Um, All of these things not only impact how we come to an answer to these questions, but they also impact the places that we're willing to engage the questions. And so it's not just about where are we starting in the sense of what do we think about it, it's how did we even get to where we started. 
And then finally, though there's so many more, it's, it's not even just where are we starting, how did we get to the start, but why are we wherever we are? And I think this, these questions are so important always. Um, you've heard me talk in a variety of different contexts. I'm really not a fan of the phrase now more than ever because I think it's more so that circumstances have changed. Like every, thing, every era and generations have circumstances that change. They make it different. They make it unique. But there's always been pressing things that happen. But we are in an era where it's very tempting to use that phrase <laughs> now more than ever in a variety of different ways because the reality is, is it's more than ever a lot of us have experienced. And so that rings true. That seems true. But these two questions have been um, actually on my mind in a lot of the work that I do academically for a long time, um, but also even as this question has been rolling around in my mind. And so why are we wherever we are? This starting point, this how did we get there? Is it to grow in our understanding or is it to protect our understanding? Are we open to be able to be like, okay, this is actually, how is this gonna grow? How is this gonna challenge? How is this gonna press? How is this gonna clarity? Or have I created something that needs protection, that needs, it can't take any challenge, it can't take any critique, or it's going to come tumbling down. And that's oftentimes where the church, where society historically has gotten itself in trouble, is when it's like, okay, we need to protect this. Um, for an example um, that is going to probably hopefully not be as controversial as some of the stuff with science and faith can be, it's when, I, when uh, me and my colleague have done workshops at churches with staff, it's one of the reasons that I actually really critique the notion of a building, um, I, I get it, there's times for it, but I'm not actually a big fan of it um, because what happens is you create this big, massive campus um, and it then has to have a big, massive budget and then that budget now needs to be sustained. <laughs> that budget now needs to be protected and then so what churches that, that do have this, and there's many great churches that have, a lot of my friends are pastors at churches that do, so it's not inherently a bad thing, but the temptation then a staff has to keep themselves from falling into is protecting the building that becomes more important than the mission of Christ. Keeping people happy who are putting money in the plate becomes more important than the mission of Christ. And so there's that, that idea, that framework, I think it's similar in many areas of life, including this question, is when we think about the intersection of faith and science, what we're open to, what we're willing to explore and understand, are we actually being like, no, I actually want to understand more, or I'm actually addressing it, I'm attending to it in the sense to protect something, as if somehow we can protect God, <laughs> as if in somehow God needs our protection. Uh, and so just to be able to think of why are we ever we are, when we hear this question, when we ask this question, when we address this question, are we going in with our fists up and ready to, to, to duke it out? Are we like, let's, let's see what's here. God, God's not scared of this. Um, if anything, there's this opportunity, as we'll see a little bit later, to explore more. So that whole notion of where are we starting, how did we get there, and then why are we wherever we are on it, um, to grow in our understanding, to protect our understanding, then brings us back to this notion, so what is the intersection of faith and science? And so in talking with friends these past few weeks uh, with this question on my mind, thinking about the question was asked, things about the variety of reasons that it could be asked, it's a very valid and very good question, it's a very important question. Um, but also I realized in reflecting that out that this question right now is so much more different than if I was doing this sermon series two summers ago, three summers ago, four summers ago, it's got a different ring to it. Um, the heightened of the discourse 
um, within that. And yes, that if anything, that should reveal how elitist academic worlds are. Every time I say discourse, just shake your head and just be like, it's just the conversation, man. It's just the conversation. Uh, and it really is just the conversation, the heighten of it, the angst of it, the social media online flaring, uh, the research that's not really research. One of my friends um, who's a professor at DePaul who um, indexes books, that's what she does. She loves indexing books. She thinks it's the greatest thing in the world. I think she's super weird about it, um, thinks it's the greatest thing. She's like, no one's researched. Everyone who's like, oh, I researched this. You found something that was catered to you in an algorithm and you put it out there. You didn't write five peer review articles on it. You didn't present on it at five different conferences. You didn't have it tear apart by 12, a panel of 12 of your peers. You didn't do any of that. That's not research. <laughs> like, don't, like, we have to, we, the, the, the level of conversation, the level of discourse right now is so fiery with this that as I reflected on this, even trying to prepare this, thinking how much different this question rings, at least for me, right now than it would have done a few summers ago. And so what is the intersection about faith and science? Honestly, I think right now, when I hear this question, I wonder what the intersection of faith and science is. I want to respond with my own question of what is it allowed to be right now? What is it even allowed to be? And I'm not talking about just one perspective or another perspective. I'm not trying to just... Uh, <laughs> Uh, hammer on, uh, there's, you know, we were actually just talking about this the other night. I don't even know if there are two sides. I think there's like seven and a half point something, something sides, uh, and probably more than that. And so realizing that what is it that we're even allowed to be right now, because there's so much at stake, um, it feels like, it feels like there's this pressure that there's so much at stake that um, when we answer it, we have to realize, like, it, what, is it, what is it even allowed to be right now? So, um, that's where I'm coming with this. That's where I'm struggling with this as we engage this. It's like, what, what is it allowed to be? How are things going to get received? Are we even receiving things in a way that are open? Are we receiving things in a way that what is going to require the less of me to do? <laughs> um, what is going to be the things that affirm already what I believe or the things that I don't like about this group or that group or that person? And so what is it are we allowing... <laughs> the intersection of faith and science to be right now. So a common response as we come to this question, as we're in a church to explore this question, is let's go to the Bible, which is great and fantastic. But to go back to my reflections from earlier, what is the Bible intended to do? To be a textbook or to be a revelation of who God is? And those are two very different things, a textbook or a revelation of who God is. So, for example, when we read the book of Genesis, when we were all fiery in our year one of study, saying, see, this clearly says this, this clearly says this, you're wrong, you're a heretic, well, you know, we, we can do like the Seinfeld interpretation of yada, 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 and then, you know, insert heretic again. Uh, we have to realize that when reading things like that, among so many other texts within scripture, our experience is not like reading a biology textbook. And thankfully, at least for me, because I fell asleep in a lot of biology classes and biology textbooks. Um, and so uh, probably not the greatest thing. So, but it's not a biology textbook. Scripture purpose is to reveal who God is and push us into the gospel. It's continuously calling us back to the gospel. And so that's why these many fights and questions about creation and those intersecting dynamics stopped after year one of study. Because scripture is clear that God is creator and the heaven and earth declare who God is. But through poetry, through story, and so many other ways of using language, its main purpose above all other purposes is to reveal God to us and tell God's story, not to provide a textbook index 
no matter how much my friend would love books to have indexes. It just doesn't. For example, when we read through the Psalms, the psalmists are just so in awe and in love and just more interested in God's creation, not in its detailed examination, but in it providing an opportunity to glorify God and set a specification of creation. So for example, out of the many examples there are, Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they reveal knowledge. Psalm 95, 3 through 5, for the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Creation and the world God created provides this amazing opportunity to point us to God and God's glory. Uh, Rebecca McLaughlin, who is an author um, that I was introduced to um, through Kevin, uh, had written this book called Confronting Christianity, 12 Hard Questions for the World's Largest Religion. Uh, and even in the areas that I, um, because for those who have been around Center Church for a while, it's, it's, it's not a secret that uh, when we came here looking for a community church, this was completely outside of the traditions that I was formed in and shaped in. <laughs> and this is, um, and it's been a long, uh, fascinating God journey that we're here five years later. <laughs> um, and I don't say that to be like, ooh, what does Robert think about X, Y, or Z? I do that because I've been pressed in challenge of what does it mean to, like, be part of a community together? What does it mean to be able to be open? Um, even when I was teaching one of my classes last year, uh, one of my colleagues was like, this is such a different tone than when you taught it three or four years ago. And it's like, it was fine three, four years ago, but it's such a different tone. I'm like, really, that's actually the impact of being in a community that I necessarily wouldn't have intentionally chosen to be part of <laughs> from the beginning. I mean, I'm talking about that first week. I'm not talking about five years later. Uh, but just realizing like, wow, that's just crazy when the people of God come together and realize that let's try to be as imperfectly as we're going to be rooted in Jesus and be able to actually be open in those different areas. Um, I've had a handful of convictions that have deeply changed. I've had a handful of convictions that haven't changed at all, but my posture around them has changed. Uh, and some of y'all have been uh, deep impact in that. And so... Um, all that was a diatribe to say that even in the areas that I really don't agree with, um, some of the questions I don't agree with in this book, I really appreciate her posture. I really appreciate the questions that she has. So it's um, Confronting Christianity, 12 Hard Questions of the World's Largest Religion. She dedicates a chapter to the question of hasn't science disproved Christianity? Uh, near the beginning of it, um, after listening to listing popular claims by atheists, she has a variety of uh, comments from questions who are respected scientists about how they see their work in the intersection of faith and science. And one of the ones that stuck out to me uh, is from Daniel Hastings, who's an MIT professor, and he says that I start by saying that there is a God who created the universe, and he is not an impersonal God. So he says, I start by saying that there is a God who created the universe, and he is not an impersonal God. Uh, I, I just really appreciate um, that this is such a helpful and simple way to start as we engage with, or as you engage with the intersection of faith and science. He's not coming off right away that, well, we have to affirm X, Y, or Z because then that affirms our faith. He's like, actually, I'm just approaching all of this with the simple affirmation that there is a God who created the universe and he's not impersonal. It's not, there is a God who created the universe and God created the universe exactly like this. 
and there's no other way that God created the universe. He's not saying that this is, then that. It's, no, God created the universe. He's not an impersonal God, and this is how I go about my work. This is how I go about this question. These are my starting areas. Uh, another um, person that she quotes at the time was a Berkeley grad student, uh, and this student uh, says that my research is only a platform, me to, platform for me to do God's work. His creation, the way he made it, he, the way he made the world is very interesting. It's amazing, really. In these two scientists, we see a heartbeat that has that same synergy as the psalmist that we looked at, um, that the psalmist um, who seek to declare who God is and through that bring Bring, uh, bring glory to God. Through the MIT professor, we realize a starting affirmation as the psalmist of who God is, and that God is not an impersonal God, and that God is creator, and then through this Berkeley grad student realizing then that work, that affirmation pushes me in, this platform for my work is to actually press us more into God's glory, into God's understanding, into us being able to have more of God revealed to us, and be amazed by who God is. And so scripture also shows us that in light of who God is and that all creation has the opportunity to express God's glory, we continue to grow in our understanding, which is something else that we are pressed and challenged with throughout scripture. It's the idea that our, 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 our knowledge, our understanding, where we at is not a one-stop shop. It's not, oh, we meet Jesus and we don't stop learning. <laughs> like, like we, we get to keep learning. We keep to be pressed into learning. Uh, and here, this intersection, as we see with faith and science, feeling these affirmations, feeling this worship, and then actually being able to press learning, we see in our faith as well. We see this idea of affirming of who God is, bringing God glory, and then being pushed in to more knowledge. Throughout Scripture, you know, for example, in Proverbs 1-7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Uh, or Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Uh, our first Thessalonians, out of many others, 5, 21, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Our life and faith is a faith that's not stagnant. It grows us. It pushes us. It continues to challenge us to open our understanding. Scripture is clear that we see through a glass dimly, that we don't have words to comprehend or fully understand, but yet there is this continued invitation to be able to continue to grow, to be able to learn. And again, these are very base levels. I get both of these have been disrupted and used in really helpful, unhelpful ways, but I just want us to talk about these base levels that we see at this intersection that science, when used like this, has the opportunity to press us further into fuller understanding of God and making God known to the world. Not because it tears down or questions God, but it has this opportunity to point us to how amazing God is, to see how God created, to see how um, the, the universe works, to see how um, we are continuously in awe, this opportunity that when the, when, uh, the heavens and the mountains declare the glory of God that we realize like, wow, you created this. That's super cool. That's amazing. And we get to learn more about it, and we get to see, wow, look at the detail. Look at every dynamic that goes within it. But first and foundationally, this notion that God is creator. Now, here's the deal. Even as I tackle this question, and Kevin said this was one of the questions that's coming up, I was very clear to the fact that I have never been more than a C student in science. Um, some of y'all are already on to that through this process, probably, depending what you were hoping for um, in this conversation. And I'm not talking just K through 12. I'm talking in college as well. 
Um, I had went to Bethel after Heather went to Bethel, and I was like, what is the thing that I can survive the most? And that was still really hard um, for me. Uh, and so this is not my jam at all. I love the idea of science. I love especially the idea of space exploration. Uh, and then I found out to be really good at science, you have to be really good at math. And I went to the exit door as fast as possible because there's absolutely nothing about me that is good at math um, within it. I know uh, three nails plus one cross equals four given, and that is the beginning and end of my math journey. Thank you, Peyton, for that laugh. That, that helped um, within that. And so I, I recognize that I am not an expert in this at all. Um, that, but as a foundational, though, I do know about the scientific method. And foundationally, and again, we'll talk about this in a moment, I know these things get thwarted, I know these things get abused, both in faith and science, but foundationally it sets us up to be able to explore, to build our understanding, not to tear down and demolish, just even a basic definitions from Webster's that principles and procedures for the systematic pursuit of knowledge involving the recognition and formulation of a problem. The collection of data through observation and experiment and the formulation and testing of hypotheses. Like there is this in here, like we just want to ask questions and we want to learn and we're going to keep testing things. And if that's wrong, that's okay. We're going to try again. Um, now, a lot more gets put at stake in these, obviously, and there's a lot more detail to it. But as I was, as I was reading this and just thinking at a foundational base level in the intersection, not, not putting on top all the other baggage that both of these have occurred to their own shortcomings <laughs> with how they've been played out by humanity, that this foundationally presses us into wonder. It presses us into learning. It presses us into awe. And if this is rooted in our declaration of who God is, our faith, and also our limited knowledge, which then points us to seeing science as a gift, we see this intersection as a gift and not a burden. If we recognize like we are starting from this point and we are declaring who God is, that God has created, yet we also know that we don't understand everything. <laughs> we need to continue to learn. It sounds like foundationally, this intersection is actually quite beautiful. Um, if we start rooted in God, if we stay there and we use this as a gift that it can be to press us into further understanding and knowledge. So for this last little bit of time we have, here's the reality is though, is oftentimes this question um, are the conversations around this question are addressed in conflict or concern. There is this um, element that we, there is something, there's obviously something at stake, but there's something at stake in a weightier way that is, that creates fear, that creates tension, that creates sides that bully one another. Um, and even actually when you look at Galileo, when you look at Copernicus, it was actually the church that was the first one to be like, hey, you're a heretic. <laughs> um, you can't do this. Um, even though most of their principles would be like, that's just common sense now. Like, of course, that is the way that it is. And that's when I want to go back to that idea of when we engage this, when we embrace this, is it because we're protecting something or is it because we're actually open to growing and learning? And so um, and the reality is, is this idea of the intersection of science and faith has actually been, at least in our modern era, has been more about the cultural wars than it has anything to do with science and faith. Um, it has to do with um, things that are really um, important to us as a culture versus anything that are, you know, universally um, 
universe at stake, and obviously there's many important things. We need to be having deep conversations right now about AI and the implications of those dynamics and what does that mean for X, Y, and Z, and, and many other things. Um, but oftentimes it is about protecting our own worldview. And so there's many reasons to look at about why conflict and concern, but most of our era, when the history books that are being written or will be written um, down the road, look at 80s, 90s, even early 2000s, uh, Christianity and culture, the, word, the, the phrase culture wars are probably going to appear more than any other phrase <laughs> throughout that process because that's just, that's just what we have done for our specific era. Other errors have done their only thing. So why, is there always, why does it seem like there's so much conflict and concern? Uh, there are a lot of reasons, but two I want to look at and brief as we, as we head in uh, to wrapping this up is this idea that, and this is, this, I, don't, I don't like this reality, <laughs> um, but there, I, I have time and time again in many areas, not just this question, it, is, it has come about, I've experienced it, I've experienced it in us as a people, I've been a perpetuator of it, but we are too often a selfish people. We just, we just are. We, we are too often a selfish people. Scripture speaks to this throughout. And one thing that I want to say about this before I talk a little um, about where I was going here, it's not just an individual, it's a collective. Um, one of the things that I always really struggle with um, in a lot of the worlds that we inhabit within uh, Christianity, uh, we talk about our individual um, sin or individual depravity a lot, but we don't always talk about the collective, and I've always been really confused by that, because if a bunch of individuals are totally depraved and sinful, then the collective they make up is probably going to be sinful as well. <laughs> uh, again, not good at math, but that seems to add up pretty well, and so just realizing that we are all too often a selfish people, and we need to realize the impact that that has, uh, and unfortunately, within that, we are too often more focused on protecting our interests and worldviews under the guise of our faith. Uh, and just before um, you assume and jump too many places, I'm going to talk about science a little bit too, not just faith here. <laughs> um, but um, we are too often more focused on protecting our interests and worldviews under the guise of our faith. And two quick examples that are probably not going to cause any issues at all um, are environmentalism and covid uh, and I want to just speak on this briefly uh, within it, and any, while recognizing that I am just as flawed as anyone else here, um, I have my own biases and vantage points as well. I can intentionally try to pray through them, I can intentionally try to research through them all, but I know my knowledge is limited. So I offer that. Environmentalism. There was this great Christian rocker named Larry Norman who um, really uh, impacted the whole era of Christian rock that ever came out. And he had this line that has probably caused more trouble in Christianity. And it's not unique to him. It's an era than a lot of other lines. It's like, we're just visiting. We're just visiting. And you know, here's the deal. There's a lot of truth to the fact that we are not, we're called to not be of this world. Um, we have, you know, we talked last week about heaven, um, that earth is not, earth is like, is decaying. And it is kind, and our ultimate hope isn't in anything. All of that can be true. And we can also be good stewards of the creation that God created. To be good stewards of the creation God created doesn't then have to be, I'm not putting my hope in God. <laughs> if anything, it actually means you are putting your hope in God because you want to be able to be a good steward to creation in which he's provided. And so there's a sense here that when we think about the tension of science and faith within Christian circles, the role of environmentalism is the one that continuously comes up in polling. It's like, oh, Christians don't care about the environment. Or, oh, these so-and-so people only care <laughs> 
about the environment. They're worshiping the environment, you know, this or that. And obviously, those are both two extreme spectrums. But again, in polling, when it comes up, how do faith and science intersect? Environmentalism is one of the biggest areas of tension that happens, where we recognize that, wow, if the mountains, if our land, if our world really have the opportunity to declare God's glory, not to worship them, but to point us to our amazing creator, then maybe we should actually be mindful (laughs) of how we are tending to our world. Not making our environment God, not saying that that's where ultimate hope is. It's going to decay, it's going to crash, but one of the things that you realize right now, especially if you live in a suburban area, you're like, oh, that used to be a Best Buy. Oh, that used to be a Kohl's because everyone had to have their own structure. They couldn't just be all in the same building. And then now no one wants to go into those buildings because, oh, that was an old Best Buy or that was an old Kohl's. Like that, those decisions to expand all of that and then watch them close down impacts our environment. And it comes back to us realizing like, oh, we just really like the idea of being able to shop all the time, or we really like the idea of this or that. Um, And that's just one of many imperfect examples, realizing like what we're doing right now, and I'm not trying, I don't want to get into specifics when you talk about the climate or things like that. There's way too much and too, too much underneath so many of those dynamics. But the reality is, wherever you are on the spectrum, stuff is happening. <laughs> like, we have not historically been good stewards of our earth. And it's not enough as a Christian to say, well, that's okay because I'm going away. Because here's the reality, even looking around this house, a handful of us have kids that are going to be around generations more. <laughs> and they might have kids have generations more. And that's why I've always been challenged and valued the notion of indigenous communities who are like, what's the impact of this decision four, five, six, seven, eight, a hundred generations down the road? What is the impact of that? That doesn't mean all of a sudden you need to become some hardcore environmentalist, but the reality is faith and science actually work together here, and the way that we on all sides have been unwilling to have them work together makes us then actually commit to some bad things because we're like, hey, you know, that's why I don't want to deal with environmentalism because look at these people who have taken it too far. Environmentalism, like, I don't want to do anything with God because look how they've abused the environment. Where in reality, like, actually this intersection is a gift to us because we see that God created the universe, and if we want to be good stewards of God's creation, let's take care of it. It's obviously more complex and multifaceted than that, but the reality is if I, the amount of people in my world and life that I hear, like, this is the reason they want nothing to do with Christians, it's just amazing when it's really like, this is such a simple call to be good stewards of God's creation. And so a lot of times tension with here. And I don't have to give really any intro to the fact that there's tension on this next point. It's been a really long, hard, almost two years. It has been. It's not been ideal. We put the mask mandate sign back up at work the other day, and there was like tears in the, in the, in the, in the staff um, within that um, for everyone, regardless of status. I'm not going to debate that with you. I'm not going to go at that with y'all. But the reality is, is the world is looking about how Christians respond to this. The world is looking about how we love our neighbor in this. And I'm not saying there's a specific way then to love your neighbor, so don't, don't, just, just stay with me for a moment here. But if our, and if it, it comes back to the fact that there are real things to critique, there are real things to affirm, but if it's just because we don't want to, then that's really about us. That's not about our community. That's not caring for our community well. And so science and faith have this opportunity to be able to inform, like, what is actually helpful here? Knowing who God is, and then testing these things and exploring, like, what is right. And the reality is, is we're all wrong about something, about what's going on right now. <laughs> that doesn't mean we throw up our hands and don't, don't care with it. 
Uh, we are, but we have a great opportunity to show God's love by respecting people, <laughs> um, by loving on people, by respecting a school administration that there has probably been more tears shed and more jobs quit and left in these last couple years than K-12 through education has seen a long time. And so a Christian's first thing isn't to go scream at them if they say, hey, we would like you to do X, Y, or and Z right now if you're going to keep using this building. It's just not helpful. I don't even care if you're right. It's not helpful. There's nothing helpful about it. There's nothing that shows a love of neighbor about it. The amount of uh, my friends outside of the church that just roll their eyes at Christians um, in, this, in this conversation right now it just hurts because it's an impact on our witness. It's an impact on how we love and care for one another within that. And so, again, that comes back to are we protecting our, just our own vision of the world? Um, are we actually open open to this. And the, so the second point here within this conversation, and I get that this is, this is more complicated and it's convoluted, um, and I'm also not on staff here. <laughs> and so I want to be really careful here. But like, our first and foremost thing should be able to be, to be you know, I, I love when scripture's like, you know, hey, they want a cloak, give them a second cloak. They want you to walk a mile, they're going to force you to walk a mile, walk another mile with them love people and be generous in this. No one is making these decisions easily. No one's making it hard. And it is, and it's not comparable. I had, to, I had this colleague, he's a professor, he passed away last year from cancer. Um, I used to have to schedule him to teach, but I wouldn't hear from him for like two months because he was in a part of China where he had to take his battery out of his phone uh, and go through those things. <laughs> those two worlds of Christians are not the same right now, here and there. And when we try to make that, we really devalue the gift that we have to still gather and worship together. To not actually have our life threatened to be worshiping together. When he saw how some of the churches in his neighborhood were responding post his death, he was like, you, you want to you trade places with that? And that doesn't mean that these aren't serious conversations. It doesn't mean there aren't things to critique. I get that. But there is a huge opportunity to be a people of peace, to be a people of God's love through this. So we are all too often thinking about ourselves and our community and just wanting to protect what makes us comfortable than being open within that. We also make gods out of things that are not God. The Bible says Jesus is the word of the God. Believe it or not, you can make an idol out of the Bible. <laughs> you can. You, you, you can not be open to anything um, at all, and just say, hey, this is B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. There's nothing else I have to do. Let's dive into scripture. Let's look at Jesus. Let's be able to actually realize, like, hey, this points us to the word. And I know I focus a lot on one side of this, but the reality is, is a lot of this conflict and tension is because we've made a God out of science. We think science can solve everything. We can think science can explain everything. And at its foundation, without all the other baggage on it, it actually says in itself that it can't. It says this is an exploration of trying to figure things out, and if it's wrong, we're going to try again. That's really not an absolute paradigm there, right? It is, it is fallible. It's going to fail more times than it succeeds, and so we can't make a god out of it. We cannot make a god out of science. And so too often on all sides, on all spectrums, we are a selfish people that our pursuits are more about being able to affirm what we already think, what we, and it's always fun how it, it's a coincidence that what we think is also what we want oftentimes. 
We're seeing things in our community right now that show the limits of science. We don't understand it, and we realize that we need to be rooted in a community of declaring who God is and our ultimate trust is in there. And so in this intersection of faith and science, we need to ask these questions about how are we tackling it, where are we starting with it, where is it pressing it into us, and we need to realize, is this coming from a place of selfishness? Is this actually something that I just don't want to do, or do I actually have grounds to critique it? Uh, there was a cartoon that's been going around in newspapers lately of this guy sitting at a computer, and he says, Honey, I finally found the thing that the last 300,000 people were wrong about. We might be just really looking to have ourselves affirmed, if that's the case. There's a lot of really, really smart people out of there, and unfortunately a lot of them are not the people who are getting shared a ton in a variety of ways. Uh, the internet has been a gift in a variety of things, but Ed Stetzer, um, who's at uh, Wheaton, uh, wrote this book called Christians in the Age of Outrage, and he referenced a study in there that they have actually found that the internet has made more extremists than it's made moderates uh, in all sides, because if you have access to all the information in the world, more likely than not, you're going to find what you want. <laughs> you're not actually going to find what's challenged with you. And it's fascinating to me that we as a faith have been so impacted by this when it was actually Christians who led the charge of the creation of the academy, who led the charge in the sciences. We have to be aware of this. I have to be aware of this. I'm not just saying to you, I know what my algorithm does to me. I realize it. I get it. I have to fight it actively. So if you're just, if, if you hear me just saying, be aware of your algorithm, I have to be aware of it which is really why my Twitter is only Star Trek now, because I just don't, I, I recognize what it does to me. Um, and so it's only a space for fandom. It's, it's nothing else anymore. So a lot of the tensions and conflicts become, because we, we too often are selfish people, we make gods out of things that are not God, both Bible and science. They just, we really need Jesus. We need to grow in the gospel. And I know that this is, yeah, of course we need to grow in the gospel. We've talked about this. But this is where I want to wind up with a couple things here. Is we need to grow in the gospel. When we think about this question, when we think about this intersection, we think about the current cultural landscape of it right now. We need to grow in the gospel. We need to humble ourselves. And we need to let God be God. We need to humble ourselves. Here's the reality. There's so many things that I'm wrong about. There's so many things that I've been challenged by. There's things that I've actually had my convictions further deepen, but it's been through conversation with people I have deep disagreement with. Um, to be able to actually be formed in community rooted in Jesus, we need to humble ourselves to that. If the last time you have listened to anything that actually challenges your perspective on any of these conversations has been a long time, maybe try to find something. Ask Kevin about something. After these last 10 minutes, if you still want to ask me about something, ask me about it. Um, ask people about it. Like, find someone who's on perspective. Go get, um, go get breakfast with them. Go hang out with them and learn from them. Be able to have their vantage points. I have been deeply enriched by my friendship with Nathan. Like, I have. Like, that wouldn't have happened if we weren't at Center Church. Uh, Peyton and I go get wings on a regular basis, and we love each other, but we are at different vantage points on a variety of things. And, but it's able to be done in community. And I'm not trying to—there are things that need to be addressed. There are things that need to tend to do. But that is in the addressing. It isn't wiping them off. It's to be able to be in relationship and actually press in and learn to them. So we need to humble ourselves. Um, obviously, humble ourselves before God, but humble ourselves to each other. Because the reality is, we had a professor a long time who said there is absolute truth, and you know way less of it than you think. 
And so let's keep learning. Let's keep growing. Let's be pressing in. Let's not come out with pitchforks and torches. And so one of the things that we want to do always when we wrap up is talk about gospel application. We don't want to leave you with here's three things to do, whatnot. This first one's a little bit of a cheat because it's actually something to think about doing, but it's rooted not in what you've done, but what God has done. And so I, and I think this, regardless of what the question was, I would love to see us do this more. And it's funny that I'm saying this because it's something I really struggle with, which is probably why I'm saying it. Um, I just love, like, to have a habit of testifying to declaring who God is and being in awe of God's creation and being in awe of God's wonder and just being in awe of the fact that like, wow, this is crazy. There might be a reason for it and that reason's probably through God's creation, but like, it's still really cool, right? Like, to testify to the fact, like there's this, there's this Twitter account that does daily images of Jupiter and they're just like the coolest thing ever. They're like the, the, just the, the different colors and the, just the, the shapes. I'm like, that's insane. Like, just take a moment to just testify to God's goodness. And let, let others testify too. I should think actually the church could use a massive dose of testifying about who God is and what they have seen God do and how they see God in the world. And then the second one is, and this isn't saying that you don't need to care about things that you're passionate about, um, there's a lot of people who can talk to you about the things that I'm passionate about and my deep care for them. But God doesn't need our protection. <laughs> like, we're not going to... Uh, and what I mean by that is God is still going to be God. <laughs> like, we don't make God God. We don't keep God God. God is God. And when we are able to actually enter that in a reality of like, wow, that's not something that I earn. I don't get a check off for every time I reply to a stupid comment on Facebook. I don't get a this or that. Like, I am just in God. <laughs> like, that's super cool. God does not need us protecting. God needs us worshiping him. God needs us declaring him. Uh, and it needs a little, I want to be careful of that. So not, but God, that is the desire there. That is the heart there. God desires us for to do that, but to not to go fight battles because when we peel back the layers, oftentimes we realize we're fighting our own battles. <laughs> we're fighting battles that make us comfortable, that make us sighted, that make the other person a bad guy, that make the other person, like, those are the evil people. When in reality, there's been a lot of things that we've needed to learn from environmentalists and scientists because the church has ignored it. And like, oh, wow, no wonder you care so much about that. And scientists that um, don't want anything to do with faith have a lot to learn about the limits of their work because God is God. <laughs> and let God be God. So testify to God's creation. Testify to the fact that, like, wow, look at what has been created. Look at what is. Be excited about it. Be ecstatic about it. Share that ecstatic nature with others. And if you get challenged by something, and this is what I really mean by this God does not need our protection— don't freak out that somehow God is going to fall apart if you don't have the right defense for it. <laughs> We're not in first-year Christian Theo 101, thank goodness, um, for a lot of reasons. Um, within that, just have the conversation, ask questions, learn more, talk to people at church, talk to Kevin, talk to, just open yourself up to learn more. Oftentimes, you know, one of the things that I realized with working with students a long time, and when I was a student, I was so mad about the supposed fall off from the faith. 
and then I actually got into like administration and teaching and I realized like, wow, we as a church don't really set people up well for this entrance. <laughs> we give them a very like, here's the bullet points, but we give them nothing under the bullet points. And so they like how to actually have these conversations and it becomes so challenging then when it's like, oh wait, what? <laughs> like there's other thoughts, there's other things. It's not scary. God's still going to be God. 